Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our very special webinar with Dr. Patrick Dixon. And so we're all in, in different locations and uh, rejoicing again that we have the opportunity to do this through the technology, which is one of the things we've discovered in, in COVID, how to use that. And so it's a delight to have Dr. Patrick Dixon with us. And so he's just going to bring a greeting now and uh, just a few words about what he's doing. Okay, well, it's great to be with you and uh, the Kensington Temple family again, and uh, just so so delighted to connect in this strange way. It, uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on, how, how, uh, how uh, Christian ministries have um, just flourished in all kinds of uh, unexpected directions through this virtual channel. Um, and so uh, Dr. Patrick Dixon, medical doctor, futurist, adventurer, expert in viruses. Well, it's, a quite, it's quite a long list. Uh, yes, well, it's, you know, it's, uh, we, I guess it's, it's a sign of old age, isn't it? When <laughs> gray hairs. <laughs> so I started off as a physician, cancer doctor, looking after people dying in London um, and uh, um, being involved in church life as well. Um, and then HIV, another mutant virus, it's a similar story to COVID in a way. It jumped from animals into humans unexpectedly about 35 to 40 years ago. And that particular virus hijacked my medical practice, Colin. I was completely overwhelmed as a young 30 year old doctor looking after people in hospices and at home. And suddenly this is new virus. It's filling up London wards in, in hospitals uh, uh, very rapidly. We didn't understand it. We were, uh, lots of people were very scared of it. Uh, we had no treatment, no cure, no vaccine. Um, it was it was a really huge time, and that led to a an organisation starting um, through churches in London called Asset AIDS Care Education and Training, and that's still running today. And we have programmes all over the world. But because of that work, as as a doctor who had then been confronted with a mutant virus, of course, that's made me, as you can imagine, Colin, very sensitive to the yeah. thought that history might repeat. And so for years now, decades, I've been warning that uh, we could well find ourselves on the edge of another terrible pandemic. If you think that HIV, you know, we have 38 million people carrying the virus today. We have had another 30 to 4 million deaths. And we've had 1.7 million new people infected in the last year alone. You know, I've seen the immense threats that can come from these viruses. And then, of course, COVID-19. Well, I remember um, back in that day, uh, meeting you a little bit in early stages of that of that journey you've just described. And um, I do actually recall you speaking to us, I think it was at Kensington Temple, about the whole nature of viruses um, and uh, talking about a virus like that, HIV AIDS, of course, is transmitted through bodily fluids. It's not it's not quite the same as COVID, but I do recall you saying we have to be ready and prepared because these viruses can come thick and fast. And can you imagine if they become yeah. airborne infections? And mm. so in many ways, you have been thinking about this for a long time. Yes. So you can imagine that when a lockdown happened, that uh, um, many of the companies I've worked with in the past, are helping them to understand global trends, which is now the bulk of what I do, um, were on the phone you know, quite quickly looking for advice on how to navigate this time of tremendous uncertainty and challenge. 
Well, we're so grateful that you joined us tonight. And um, as you know, we've had quite a few questions that come in by email and the other ways of asking questions and participating. So I'm going to hand over to Ron Salamat, who is our host for this evening. He's going to take you through what we need to do. Thank you so much, Colin. And hello, everyone. Great to have you at this webinar with us. And hello, Patrick. Great to see you again. Patrick, you I too. have done some in the past. Um, my role is fairly easy today, and uh, what I wanted to explain to you is how it works to get you more involved in the webinar. Thank you for the many of you who sent in questions. We have many questions and many good questions. We have um, a number of panelists. You can see their faces on the screen. If you're in the webinar, it's uh, along with uh, Colin and Patrick. We've got Jonathan Gwilt, Amanda, Davinda, Claudette, Eddie Walsh. Marcelo, Pastor Andrew, and uh, Pastor Scott. So um, there's a number of ways you can interact with us today. If you're in the webinar, you can dialogue with us on chat and members of the panel will be chatting with you. Or if you're in the webinar, you can also use the Q&A function. And that way we'll be responding to you as well from the panel. I noticed a couple of people have raised their hands already. And so just to let you know, the way the evening is gonna flow, is Patrick is gonna address us for a few minutes, and then he's gonna start answering some of the questions that have already come in. But if you keep sending your questions in to us, we'll make sure that somehow we channel them through him and, and we'll handle as many of these as we can in the time we've got allocated. If you've come in on Facebook or YouTube, we have staff members who are monitoring those platforms as well. So feel free to ask your questions on YouTube and Facebook and they will find a way of relaying your questions to us. But if you're on Facebook or YouTube and you'd prefer to join us in the webinar, the webinar ID 819-0890-2984. Again, if you wanted to pop into the webinar, remember the webinar offers you the facilities to chat back and forth with us. If you'd prefer 819-0890-2984. So as I indicated earlier on, we are so pleased to have uh, Patrick Dixon with us today. And so Patrick, it's over to you. Oh, well, thank you. What I thought I'd do is just share some initial thoughts. And yes, thank you for the questions you've already put here. Um, I promise we'll answer all the ones we've got already um, and we'll do our very best with the rest. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm very happy to linger at the end for a cup of coffee even after the session's formally finished and we'll just do what we can. So I'm going to try and share my screen. Yes. Are oh, we doing good, right? You got that. Fine. So um, I, what I want to do is to take us through uh, some thoughts about the pandemic. And what I'd say is this, it's very easy to be blind. Jesus criticized the leaders of the day because they did not know how to interpret the signs of the time. So let's have a look at the signs of the times and try and understand what they might mean. The first thing I'd say is this, that there's nothing particularly new about COVID-19. I've already said that uh, I had the experience of HIV, another mutant virus, and trying to care for people with that particular condition over 32 years ago. Uh, new viruses emerge somewhere in the world very regularly and existing viruses are mutating all the time. So just uh, look, at, look at this, in 2003, we had SARS as a virus, another type of coronavirus actually, which was killed 10%, that's one in 10 of all those who had it, young and old. I have to say, I'm so 
grateful that the this particular virus is not killing tiny children because many of these viruses do they go for the very very old who are vulnerable and the very very young who are vulnerable um, in bird flu uh, hit us also in 2003. That was causing 60% mortality rate. We had swine flu in 2009, very low mortality rate, but it spread very fast. Half of the world's entire children became infected in just 12 months. Uh, in 2012, we were hit by MERS, especially in the Middle East. This killed one third of all the people that became infected and now COVID. So now when we look at, uh, you know, today is World AIDS Day, actually, December the 1st, it's the time we, we, re we remember those who have died and we consider the sobering realities of HIV. The fact that uh, this is a different mutant virus, but nevertheless jumped from animals into humans. Last year, it caused 1.7 million new infections, 690,000 deaths, 38 million people living with it. But I just want you to see that actually we are getting control of that slowly. Uh, we have treatment now for most people in the world who have HIV, which has turned this from a deadly disease into a chronic one. Now, when we look at COVID, for those of you who like graphs, I just want you to notice one thing. Uh, on, the, on the top is the global situation, the number of new cases each, uh, each week. And uh, you'll see that it was fairly flat from June all the way through to September and then started to rise. Um, if you look at the number of deaths, it's actually been relatively constant. The reason why that's important is that it's, it actually spread more slowly than we expected. You know, in London, uh, during the uh, fastest growth of the uh, infection in, let's say, late March, early April, we were seeing cases double every two days. That is two days to go from one case to a thousand in an area. Uh, sorry, two days to go from one to two, two days from two to four, two days from four to eight. The trouble is after the ninth day, you have 500 cases. And then on the 10th day, you go to a thousand cases. And in another 10 days after that, um, sorry, with 10 doublings, you go from, uh, you go from two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, it goes on climbing very quickly. And so if you have a doubling time of two days, then in 20 days, that's 10 doublings. So you go from one case to a thousand. And in another 20 days, in London's case, you go theoretically from a thousand to a million. It spread so fast. And in many European countries, we saw a doubling time of around four days. Now that's compared to with HIV and AIDS. It, back 30 years ago, we were seeing doubling times of a year in many parts of the world. So you can see this was spreading very fast. But in the UK, um, you'll see that we are seeing things come back down again uh, with, with lockdown. So that's, that's some good news. What's really interesting is that research has been coming through for some months now, for about six months, I've been following a story about common colds. We first started to see uh, laboratory results suggesting that if you look at uh, serum from people who have had common colds in the past, and this serum was sitting in, in, in the freezer, <laughs> and we, scientists defrosted it to see whether the serum from people who'd had colds some years ago might also protect them against COVID-19 virus. And they found that in the laboratory, there seemed to be some in protection to some degree in, in, in quite a few cases. 
And similar studies were, were came out in Cell, in Nature, in other um, scientific publications. And more recently, another study came out suggesting that if you live in a house with lots of young children, maybe those over the age of eight, it's actually statistically less likely that you'll get sick from COVID and much less likely that you'll die. Uh, why would that be? Well, it seems that there is um, this particular coronavirus um, shares some properties with other coronaviruses that cause common cold. And it may be that if you have been experienced to lots and lots of common colds in the past, um, then some parts of your immune system may just recognize the COVID-19 virus more quickly. Now, at the same time, as I said, viruses mutate and we have seen a mutant emerge in Denmark uh, in uh, workers who've been handling mink animals. Uh, they've been uh, grown for their fur coats and the Danish government is so concerned about this that they actually slaughtered 17 million animals because they, they could see a new mutant had emerged that the COVID-19 had jumped from an animal in the first place into humans, had spread rapidly, jumped from humans into mink and mutated, and then jumped back into humans in a slightly different form. And the worry is that you then have a sort of minked version of COVID, which hits you again. You get a human version of COVID, and then three weeks later, a mink version of COVID, because your human antibody your, your antibodies against the human version don't necessarily give you very good protection against this other one. So that is a, a constant hazard for us. The other problem, and these are the mink, some of the mink, the other problem is when we're thinking about vaccines is that we don't know how long immunity lasts anyway. So I have two members of my own family who are in the front line against COVID-19. One works in intensive care and the other works as a hospital nurse. Both of them, they think, have had COVID twice. Uh, the, the, my relative, who's, who's a nurse, had good antibodies. She had a proven COVID infection in May. She had good antibody response. Her antibody levels remained high in June, July, August. By September, they were falling, and October, she's sick again. So that's the challenge. Many coronaviruses that cause common colds and things like that, they don't produce a long lasting immunity. So when we get very excited about vaccines, if we, if we are getting excited about them, we need to remember that if a vaccine gives you um, the same immune response as if you'd had COVID-19, it may simply mean that you've got six months protection, maybe not much more than that. So we need to be quite cautious, even though the progress has been absolutely incredible. We have never seen a vaccine produced in less than four years in the past, but here we have 53 different vaccines. Four of them already have completed clinical trials. But as I say, we've got questions about how long immunity lasts. Now, what this really shows is that uh, there's something very wrong with, uh, with, 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 uh, with medical knowledge. You see, it was in the 1940s that Alexander Fleming discovered the first antibiotic, penicillin. And at that moment uh, began a tremendous 
an exciting journey. It meant that if your you know, son or daughter today has a bacterial meningitis or bacterial pneumonia, they will go to maybe a London teaching hospital, they get pumped full of antibiotics and three or four days, they're completely better, they're cured and home they go. But with antivirals, we don't have today a single antiviral that is as effective against a single virus anywhere in the world as penicillin was against uh, various bacteria. So we have a great big hole in the medical cabinets of teaching hospitals, uh, in chemists uh, and everywhere else. We desperately need much better antivirals because we can't really allow our world to be held to ransom for a year or so every time a new mutant goes pandemic because it takes such a colossal effort to develop a vaccine. We have to be locked down while we're doing it. Uh, it costs gigantic economic disruption. How much better it would be if a new virus emerges next year, we just go and get the equivalent of penicillin and people are cured. So that's a big area for medical research. But I, I want to turn to uh, some, some, some thoughts about the wider impact because I, th I think it's very important and as Christians, I hope this is encouraging to us that in the midst of all the suffering we have seen and all the, um, the negative impacts on people's mental and emotional well-being, in the middle of all of that, we have seen in many countries an outpouring of public spiritedness, of a desire to help, of gratefulness for the small things of life, whether it's the setting of a sun, or watching the rain fall, or just being able to see a friend, even from a distance. Small things have really mattered. And I was excited, encouraged in the midst of all of this pain and much tragedy to see that over a million people volunteered to become supporters of the National Health Service in just one week, in just one country, the UK. How wonderful is that? And at the same time, the kind of things that people like Greta Thunberg have been talking about for a long time to do with climate change or the protection of the environment or um, plastics in the oceans. What has happened is that in many countries, people have become more thoughtful. They're thinking, actually, how do we live? And is this happening to us because somehow human beings have gone out of control? Uh, should we be listening to what our planet is trying to tell us, indeed what our maker is telling us about life, about what really matters, about what's ultimately important? And, you know, there was a survey done by the Guardian newspaper in partnership with Tear Fund. If you're watching from outside the UK, that's one of our main national newspapers and Tear Fund is the fifth largest development agency in the country as an evangelical organization. And they did a poll together and they discovered that a third of all 18 to 35 year olds had been watching online church services in the previous six weeks. Folks, think about it, a third. Um, and it was uh, similar figures for all the other age groups. And if you look at, uh, uh, say, the, the church bloat, the one where, where uh, we're worshiping at the moment in Weymouth, and um, you'll see 139, 164, 178 views of a, of, a, of a church service. Actually, that's been happening 
even though we've now started to have meetings in the church you know, for quiet prayer and things like that when we've been allowed to, um, and other things going on, but that I could tell you that there are only 100 members of the church, so you only need 70 views for everyone to take part in a church service because, uh, of course, you, on some, in some homes you have two or three or four people watching, and others maybe only one. So if only 70 of those views there belong to us, then who are these others? And they are some of the people who are on this headline here. They are people who are dropping by from all over the world, from all walks of life, for all kinds of reasons. And why? Because something is happening to them. Their world has changed and they are becoming more thoughtful about the environment, about volunteering, about how to build a better world, just thinking about their own futures. And I just conclude with this, uh, this, this, this final thought and then back to you, uh, which is this that I often think about the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, who was locked up, locked down, locked in for so much of his ministry. I think of him as someone frustrated, uh, crying out in his prayer life to God, wondering why, why, Lord, have you prevented me from giving my ministry. Lord, you created me as a teacher, as a church planter, as an apostle, as an evangelist. How can I do that when I'm here locked up in a prison? And you, then you, you can almost hear Paul thinking in his letters. He begins to think about maybe witnessing to the jailers or to a few visitors who come. And, and, but still, you, you get his frustration, uh, the cry from his heart for the churches he loves. And I wonder at what point it suddenly dawned on him that actually he had in his cell paper and ink and he could write. But what could he write? And would the letter arrive on the back of a donkey or on a ship or a boat? And even if it did, how many people would read it? But still he began to write as an act of obedience because he was locked down, locked up, locked in, and totally frustrated. And out of that, he became the world's first time warp apostle, the first digital church planter and evangelist, the first, um, the first digital preacher, the, the greatest online Christian influence the world has ever known. The fact is, I'm talking about the ministry of Paul now. And I often think, that if he hadn't been locked down, locked up, locked in, and if he hadn't been frustrated out of his brain, thinking about how to somehow escape the confines of his cell, I wonder if our world would ever have benefited from his ministry in the way that we do today. And I say that to encourage us as the church, especially when you're looking at the online services and, and things like that, you say, well, it's not as good as doing it face to face. That is true, but something extraordinary has happened across the whole world. And I just give you one final example of that, which I'll just share as a story from the world of Asset, the AIDS Foundation. I remember um, uh, 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 last year, we had a small number of people together, 50 from all over the world. Some people couldn't come from Uganda or Congo because the British government would not give them visas. But we still met, we rejoiced, we had fellowship, we prayed together, and we've met in different countries doing the same as finances allow. 
Anyway, in lockdown, uh, some sort of elders of the movement, sort of four or five of us have been continuing to meet and pray on a regular basis for the movement. And one of them in Uganda said, he said, you know, in Uganda, we're having our team meetings as usual. Even in the most remote rural areas, we are gathering on Zoom. He said, we're missing something. We should have a big international conference like the last one we had in my country. He said, in Uganda, in 2008, we welcomed 34 nations, 135 people. He said, we should do that this month. So we scratched our heads and thought, well, why not? If they can do it in Uganda, let's do it in Congo. Let's do it in Zimbabwe and let's do it in Russia. And do you know, five weeks later, Asset held a conference and what a joy it was. Locked down, locked in, locked up and frustrated out of our brains, there we were. 35 nations, 135 people. We were sharing best practice, sharing stories of encouragement. We were thinking through what COVID means to people who know how to fight viruses because that's what ACID has done for the last 32 years. What can we take from that ministry and help the world with now? Uh, we, start, we sang, we worshiped, we broke bread together, we prayed and for four hours we had a taste I believe of heaven itself. What a joy it was that to be provoked by that brother in, in Uganda. And I often think about St. Paul. If St. Paul, not locked down, not locked in, and we'd never had his ministry. If we hadn't been locked up, we'd have never done that conference. You know what, out of that, the country leaders said, let's pray every week. So we've then been meeting to pray every week. It's the highlight of my week, and for Sheila, my wife. Uh, on a Wednesday morning, uh, for an hour, we have no idea who will turn up, but leaders from the movement from all over the world, it might be someone from the from most rural part of Zimbabwe, another one from Thailand, or another one uh, from, uh, from Czech Republic or from uh, Ukraine, but turning up, and even though we're virtual and we can't give each other a hug, we learn about each other's stories, we stand together and we pray together. I tell you, it has been life-changing and so I just want to say, let's look through COVID. My first slide was life beyond COVID. My friends, there is life beyond COVID. So while I'm very happy to discuss 4,323 questions we already have, <laughs> let's not lose the plot here. And let's consider why it is that we might have been locked down, locked up and locked in and make the very best because all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes as Paul has written. Okay, back to you. I don't know, Ron? Thank you, Ron, thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you for that uh, wide-ranging uh, introductory talk there. Now, yeah, we do have some decisions to make because uh, questions have come in and there are three three main areas that, as, as I see this. There is the etiology, the, the origin of the virus, uh, yes. exactly help us with how that, how that happened. Um, and there are those who say that it has been deliberately introduced into the population and it has been created in a laboratory. Uh, um, and then there is the actual um, ongoing question about viruses, which is more like prevention and, and dealing with the virus. And then the third main area is about, you know, the future, which is I know where, where your heart really is um, as to what what this lasting legacy this is going to leave for us and for the church in particular. I know you've already touched on that insofar as saying that we have learned, we're doing it now, we're doing it tonight. We're using technology and some of us old guys 
have got right on the bandwagon with this and we're doing amazing things, things we never thought were possible. And so the future of the church and, and changing in, in connection with global trends. So now how much you go into this will depend very much on you and the questions that are before you. So would you yeah. like, let me just ask you to kick off on okay. the, the origin of the vaccine and then uh, it'd be over to you, Ron, to work out where you go from there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's begin at the beginning. Uh, we still don't know where case zero was. Actually, you know what? With HIV, we still don't know either. Um, we've been studying that for 40 or 50 years. We have no idea. Uh, and I don't think we ever will. Um, uh, but uh, I remember with HIV, it's a, one of the commonest questions I was asked in churches was, did somebody make this in a laboratory? It's nothing new about this question. I was able to say categorically, no. And I knew that because we knew we could find traces of HIV infection, hints of it, going back a previous decade or two, long bef uh, before a time when we ever had the technology to make it. Life's more complicated now, Colin, because actually we do have the technology to make viruses like this or to take an existing virus and mutate it in some way. And we know that lots of, lots of laboratories are doing all kinds of experimental work with viruses um, for all kinds of reasons, including unfortunately, uh, not necessarily very nice ones. Um, and we have our own laboratory here in the UK called Portland Down, which is designed to try and anticipate threats of viruses being used as weapons of war. So we need to take that seriously. Now, um, I have no idea whether this particular virus um, uh, mutated naturally, as I say, they do anyway every year, Colin. Um, uh, or whether this particular one uh, had a helping hand. In other, in other words, it was, it was you know, someone had been fiddling around in the laboratory and doing various experiments, putting it back in the freezer, and they got themselves infected. I don't know, um, but I wouldn't make too big a deal out of it. One thing I'm certain of, absolutely certain, is that this was not a deliberate act to sort of poison off the earth. Um, at the very worst, it would have been a, an experiment that went badly wrong, and probably those who involved in it were the, some of the first people to die, but I just don't know. It seems much more complicated than it first appears. I, I, I begin to see hints of, of infection even in uh, in Italy long before it seemed to come up in in, in China. Honestly, it, I think it's lost in the mists of mists of time as regards the the origin. Okay, Ron, would you like to take us further, or how about Patrick? You you dealing with some of the questions that are okay. already yes. before you? All right. Yes. Well. There are a whole lot, I have to say, there's a, a lot of questions. I'm very great. I've got some written ones here that were sent in before the seminar began. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with what's happening on the screen here. But um, uh, um, so the people are worried, you know, how long would the antibodies last? I, I really don't know is the answer. And it depends on who you are. Um, and uh, we, we know that the um, antibodies can fall off. There are two parts of the immune system. There's the antibodies, which are just like a chemical your body produces to mop up viruses. Um, but there are T cells. These are soldier cells and they go and attack infected cells. And the T cells um, may, may have a much longer lasting immunity. In fact, in London, um, uh, uh, maybe 17 or 18% of, of, of the population has had antibodies uh, to COVID at some time in the last few months. Uh, but it looks like four times as many have got T cells activated. 
So over half the population of London has probably been exposed already, even though the antibody tests don't show that, but that's another matter. The antibody tests, by the way, don't guarantee um, that you, uh, that, you know, if, if you come antibody negative, it doesn't prove that you haven't had it because you could have lost your antibodies. Um, and uh, um, indeed you can test you can be quite sick uh, and test negative for the virus particles. It's complicated. There are two tests. One is for the virus particles, which becomes positive usually quite soon in someone who's, who's unwell, and they, they then disappear as the antibodies start to rise, and then we test for antibodies later on. Um, so the tests aren't, aren't exclusive. Um, I've seen quite a lot of questions we've had about the vaccines. I don't wish you go into that and ethics of them. Would that be good to do? Uh, yes, yes, Patrick, I would suggest that because we've had a number of questions even while you're speaking coming in uh, on the vaccine. It seems like there's two types of, it's converging on two types. Yeah. Um, people are asking the question about um, sample sizes and the length of time yes. over which the vaccines were tested. And secondly, uh, a question around uh, what the content is and whether we as Christians have an ethical dilemma to make some yes. decisions on. Yes. Okay, so on the on the trials, let me just say, uh, I mean, I, I have um, a, a bit of an inside track on this story because uh, I know a lot of people or talk to a lot of people who are involved in, in these kinds of technologies. And it is quite extraordinary the speed at which we've been able to go. It's science fiction. I mean... Uh, it's a bit like, um, uh, you know, Elon Musk suddenly is sending a, a rocket to a space station and you think that we, it would require the whole of NASA to do it and, and you know, a hundred years of space technology. And then Elon Musk, who just makes a few electric cars, he sends a rocket with human beings to the space station. How does he do that? The technology is growing and we've got the viral equivalent of that now. So vaccines, we, 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 we found much faster ways to make vaccines than ever before. Um, have um, some of the traditional safety measures being cut, uh, cut past? No. Um, do we know everything? No. Um, you know, oral, oral contraceptives, the pill has been around since the 1960s. We're still debating some of its health impacts um, because it takes you 40, 50 years to know, <laughs> you know, say so the impact on osteoarthritis in women who are 85 years old or the impact on Alzheimer's disease. Um, uh, and trying to correlate that with how many years someone was on a particular type of oral contraceptive. It could take 50 years to answer a question like that. And it will take 30 years maybe to know everything we need to know about the, the longer term safety of these vaccines. But I think we can be confident, as confident as we are about most new vaccines when they, 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 they come, that, uh, that this, is a, uh, this is a good thing. Um, that's, that, the, that some of these vaccines look very, very, uh, very exciting in terms of the response levels. Now, as to the science and whether I personally would take them, okay, because that's a big test, isn't it? Um, so as to the science, there are, there are several ways to do this. One is in the usual way is you find a weakened version of the same virus. We did it with smallpox in the olden days. We didn't even have to do any, anything. Um, I don't know if you know the story, but um, it was noticed that some, some, that there was, there were, there were, when, when the whole world was getting pox scars all over their faces from smallpox, it was noticed that there were some farmhands on some local farms that had absolutely beautiful skin. And of course, where would you notice that? It was the young girls. He just noticed that most of the young girls in the villages were very, very, very scarred. And these, these girls working farms were not, and they couldn't work out why. And then they worked out that actually there was a, a different kind of virus, cowpox, 
which was affecting the cows, which the milkmaids were, 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 uh, were catching from the cows. And this gave them a cross immunity to smallpox. So the idea of using a weakened virus or a slightly different one to protect us against the real thing is, is very, very old. It's very effective. And that is what, in essence, the Oxford AstraZeneca project is, has been trying to do, is to create a, a virus that can't cause illness, can't make you sick, um, and make it in vast quantities very quickly, um, and give you uh, just the virus particles uh, in themselves, nothing else, just the virus particles, and make you immune. And the good thing about that particular technology is it's tried and tested with 30 or 40 years old in different forms, really, in one way or another. Their process of manufacturing is faster than and new, but um, and you can pop it in the fridge for 30 days and, and uh, it's easy to transport. Now, uh, there is a, it there has been a, uh, an ethical question raised, which because people have asked me on the on, on, on the questions, I'm going to address it in a moment. And uh, the other one is um, an example of it is the Pfizer one uh, on Medina. And this is this is clever stuff. Uh, this involves um, some, a tiny, tiny scrap of genetic code. It's not the same genes as inside the nucleus of your cells, okay, that gives you the brain of your cell. Um, it's what they call a messenger RNA. This, it's, um, it's a tiny, tiny fragment, which if it gets inside a cell for a short period of time, issues an instruction, and usually an instruction to make virus particles. And they've just changed it. So instead of producing a whole virus, it just produces a tiny, tiny fragment of the virus, which gets on the outside of the cell and then your whole immune system goes crazy and says, oh my goodness, what's that? And it produces a massive reaction against what the body thinks is a virus. It isn't, it's just like the, the you know, it's like the, the fingernails of the virus. And as they react against that, the immune system is primed. So when the real virus comes into the body, this, uh, the, uh, the human body says, I know exactly what those is. I've seen these, these little, little fingernail things before. Wham, done. Now, Christian's, what Christians are, it's, ama it's amazing. You put a thousand Christians in a room and it seems to me that there's some Christians that will find a theological reason for anything or against anything. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. <laughs> the things I've seen justified from, from scripture, from, you know, I mean, honestly, even acts of tremendous evil I've seen justified from, by, by, by people from some time to time. And, uh, and also I, I've seen uh, people I sometimes been lying awake at night, worrying themselves half to death because they think that something I think is perfectly okay is um, it, it somehow contravened by some particular line, a line of the Bible. Now, firstly, I want to say that we all are different. We see things differently. That's why we're the body of Christ. And uh, I would not be one to say I've got the monopoly on the truth on this, okay? Um, but when it comes to um, one of the issues here, I, I, uh, there's, a, there's a place I tend to go uh, as, uh, as for helpful insight. Okay, so here's the issue with the Oxford AstraZeneca virus. As some have pointed out, so that's why I'm raising it. They said, are you aware that some fetal cells are used in the manufacturing of it? Um, and so the answer to that is, yes, I am aware of that, but let me just explain what's happened here. Uh, what would be, I think, um, 
uh, would be causing a massive, 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 massive um, problems every day of the week. The Pope would be making announcements on it. I mean, you can guarantee on when it comes to pro-life and fetuses and embryos. The Catholic Church has traditionally been very vocal on these things. And they have a lot of a lot of theologians who wrestle all kinds of different medical ethical issues to the ground. And what's interesting is the comparative silence on this. And this is the reason why. The embryo, there are some embryo cells that ha have been used at some point. They were extracted, it seems, from a one or two fetuses that were um, that, that uh, were destroyed, uh, legally destroyed, uh, um, uh, uh, but uh, they were destroyed um, about 50 years ago. That's five zero years ago or 60 years ago, a long, long time ago. Tiny numbers of cells were taken and popped in a chest tube and grown. And they were grown in such a way that the cells themselves changed character somewhat. So they became what we call is immortalized. They became a bit like um, yeast. Uh, if you think of yeast, you know, you grow yeast in a fridge, you want to uh, um, make some bread, uh, you, you mix it up with the, with, the, with the bread and the reaction happens. But if you keep on feeding the yeast and keeping it in your fridge, that yeast could go on making bread for you for a hundred years, um, so long as the cells are, are, are maintained and looked after. And that's what they are. They're very simple cells. Um, they, they are um, in some ways not particularly recognizable compared to the cells that they were originally in the cell line. And they've been grown, uh, uh, sometimes you can freeze them and then frost, defrost them and grow them again, but they've been grown basically uh, for 50 to 60 years now. Now, this particular line of cells has been used, uh, maybe Christians didn't realize this, but in many of the vaccines that members of your own family have, may have had in the past. Um, it could be, you know, measles vaccines, or all kinds of vaccines have been, have been um, created in the same way. What's happened is that these, this line of cells has been infected with a, um, with a virus and they've been programmed to make uh, virus particles which are defective they can't make you sick okay and and just like brewing beer in a vat uh, with yeast um, these cells have been fed and you get a great big vat that's full of cells and these cells have produced virus particles the virus particles are then strained off and are separated from the cells and they're put in sterile solution and what you're given is virus particles but those virus particles have been grown in embryonic cells. That is for uh, many, um, uh, say for many a Catholic bishop has been a point of issue. So some Catholic bishops in Australia, for instance, wrote to the government and they said, uh, are you aware that there may be many different ways to make a vaccine? Uh, we are uncomfortable with this particular method um, and we hope and pray that uh, you will fund other methods. Uh, what uh, happened before, and you see the thinking has been done a long time ago. Um, uh, the various uh, sort of theological institutes within the Catholic Church, when faced with this question several years ago, um, came to the conclusion it wasn't like a sort of they didn't feel, they, they, actually the ethical issues they felt, and indeed the many evangelical theologians would feel the same, um, are um, uh, perhaps more subtle than one might think. Uh, the argument has been that if 
fetal cells have been, um, you know, there's been a great hunger, uh, you know, a great desire to go off to abortion clinics and get fetal cells and, and experiment. I mean, the last three years, you know, there's been a great frenzy of extracting fetuses, trying to get hold of fetuses. Uh, there'll be something absolutely horrific about uh, the situation from the point of view of many, many, uh, many people who, um, as I do, have a great, uh, the deepest respect for, for the unborn. Um, but given that this was a single act, that it happened 50 years ago, that that act has already taken place. There's no further acts or the, the, uh, that has an, has an ethical issue attached to it. That act happened. And given that it's an act um, uh, of injustice or whatever it is, whatever words you want to describe to it, an unethical act. Uh, but if, as or if, if it was the case, I'm not saying it is, but if it was the case, that the only way in which, let us say, a million people's lives could be saved would be by using um, a um, redeeming in some way, some positive outcome from that act, even if you think it should never have happened, then perhaps it would be morally justifiable. So uh, that is why the Pope has been very silent on it. Now, I'm not saying that you, 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 uh, that, uh, that, uh, you know, you, uh, you might say, well, I, I don't take my theological positions from the Pope, thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm just saying that the Catholic Church has had a very, very strong pro-life ethic, and the Catholic Church itself is being um, quite subtle in its pronouncements on this. Um, I, I, with, I think the conviction that if there is an alternative way to do this, we have a duty to find it. But if there really isn't, then we may be faced with a great dilemma. So uh, there have been various announcements made by various bishops that um, to their parishioners that if Catholics were to decide through conscience not to have, an, say, for example, an Oxford an AstraZeneca type of vaccine, then they would have a moral duty to exclude themselves otherwise from risk of infection for the sake of their children, their families, their grandparents and the wider community. That is to quarantine themselves or, or to do whatever steps. So these are really serious matters when we have a vast population at risk, because I, I'm going to come on to the challenge that if we don't contain this. Um, uh, so the second one is uh, the, the Pfizer Moderna one, the, uh, the RNA, mRNA one. Again, I've got some interesting questions here and people say, DNA is the is like the, you know the word of God. It's the it's the it's the language of life. You know, do we have have we been given the God given right to rewrite rewrite our genetic code? Um, I I don't think we have, but I'm not sure that's what we're talking about. In fact, I'm sure we're not. Um, let me give you an example. Um, I was recently well until a few a few years ago chairman of a company that was taking human viruses, actually the virus causing cold sores, a relatively mild disease, and fixing them with new genetic code so they would infect cancers and destroy them. How cool is that? Now, I predicted in 1993 that so many viruses make us sick. How cool to train a virus to make us well or to cure disease. And so, so that company built viruses to, and uh, and uh, with with fantastic results in animals and uh, some quite promising results too with some kinds of tumors in humans. Um, so so we've been building viruses 
uh, to do what? Uh, this virus worked by uh, targeting the outside of human cancer cells, uh, um, injecting uh, genetic codes into the cancer cells and playing a trick on the cancer cell and hijacking it to turn it into a virus factory. And the, the virus would then be reproduced inside the cancer cell, it blows the cancer cell apart and then infects its neighbors and so it goes on. Quite honestly, I thought that was a very neat trick. I would be much more worried about changes that were um, getting transmitted to the next generation, uh, somehow getting built into the fabric of life, you know, um, into sperm or eggs. But, uh, but, you know, when you're just reprogramming a few cancer cells and blowing them apart, I'd say, I think that's cool. Um, and if I'm reprogramming a few muscle cells in the, in the arm of a grandmother of yours and teaching those muscle cells to make fragments of a virus that can't infect anybody, but they trick her immune system into thinking she's been infected. I think that's kind of cool. I have no problem with that theologically at all. Um, so, um, and by the way, you know, there are all kinds of conspiracy theories going around. I don't know where some people, so I'm not, I mean, I'm, I, so I'm, to be honest, I'd be laughing if, the, if, they, if, 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 if it wasn't the fact that some people seem to believe this stuff, you know, that somehow there's some chip in a vaccine that's going to go in someone's brain, it's going to be the mark of the beast. I mean, Give me strength. I mean, you know, uh, these are like these are like the theories that people never walked on the moon. That it was a great sort of NASA con. That all the videos were made up. That the that all the videos were taken in in a NASA laboratory or in a, sp a space hangar. That uh, uh, no, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, I tell you, the same people tried to tell the same kinds of conspiracy theorists tried to tell me that HIV didn't cause AIDS. Oh my goodness, what a terribly 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 dangerous thing that was uh, i had i had to battle with one of the british newspapers the sunday times actually because they continued to print front page stories that hiv didn't cause aids that aids was not caused by a virus oh my goodness so we need to be very careful i showed those those glasses right at the beginning it's easy to be blind jesus criticized the leaders of the day because they didn't know how to interpret the signs of the times please don't let jesus criticize us for somehow interpreting vaccines as a method of injecting chips into humans' brains, folks. <laughs> okay, so let's just uh, be careful about that. Um, okay, so that's a slightly muddy answer. mRNA, I don't see a problem with that at all. I do see one big problem practically though. Guess how much it costs? Up to 28 pounds of go. Uh, the uh, the Astra AstraZeneca one is only three pounds a go. That's the one, uh, now, you might say, well, we can afford 28 pounds. Well, you might think you can afford it, but my friends in Zimbabwe can't, and the president of the country can't. And there's another problem with the, the Pfizer Modena one. It has to be kept at minus 80 degrees centigrade, all the way from the moment it's made to the moment it's mixed up. Ah, well, you might say, yes, I've got a freezer in my house. Yeah, you have. But have you been, have you, have you, I mean, I wish you'd come with me on a, on a, on a, on a mission trip to the remote rural Zimbabwe or Congo, where you find the electricity is off for six or eight hours a day, where you're lucky to find an ordinary fridge, let alone a massive freezer, where, um, you know, lorries break down, uh, things sit on the tarmac. Uh, I, I can tell you, uh, my, 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 my worry would be that someone could spend a billion, a billion pounds delivering that kind of vaccine to the whole of Africa and three quarters of it will be delivered by wonderfully trained doctors and nurses under the 
fantasy that it still works and they're just injecting salty water because there's not a single thing left in it by the time it actually reaches the people who need it. So, which brings me to another issue. You see, we can take a moral position, say, oh yes, we won't bother to get vaccinated or we don't need vaccines, we'll just sort of build up immunity or we'll find another way. The trouble is, my friends, there's a stark reality here. You know, I showed you um, that, you know, we've had what, maybe 50, 60 million detected infections so far. How many people live in the world? 7.8 billion. Well, maybe, maybe possibly if we've missed a whole load of infections, maybe half a billion people have had COVID. That is 7.2, 7.3 billion people whose immune systems are absolutely vulnerable right now. My friends, we're already seeing mutations. We've just seen it jump into mink. Thank goodness it happened in Denmark, which had the capacity to suddenly kill 70 million animals. What would happen if a mutant like that had suddenly jumped into, let's say, I don't know. Um, we know. We know that COVID infects tigers. It infects lions. It infects cats. Fortunately, it doesn't seem to jump from cats into humans. It infects dogs. Doesn't seem to jump from dogs into humans. I'm saying the writing is there on the wall. There are huge risks in allowing this thing to just sort of burn its way out around the world. If we, because the, the, it's a real risk that it will come back and bite us in a much more savage form next year or the year after. So we have a moral duty uh, to take care of our own health, to wear those masks, to take care of the health of those around us, those we love, those in our churches, in our congregations, in old folks' homes and the rest. And we have a moral duty to do what we can to contain the spread in the poorest parts of the world. So we, we need to be campaigning for, um, for, I think, rapid scaling up a vaccine, uh, for making this thing, these things available to the nations that can't afford it. These are huge, huge issues, I believe, for the future of humankind. I think it's me out on vaccines, probably. <laughs> Um, a couple a couple ancillary questions have come in, so maybe we'll just try these two before we move on to a new topic. Um, one is more governmental policy, which is they, the, the, the person who's asking the question would like to know your point of view on should vaccines be made compulsory or not. And oh. then, then second, the second question that came in is, um, in, in the final vaccination, are there nanoparticles of the human embryo that was no, from 50 years no, absolutely not, nothing, nothing. Um, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, you, you, I mean, things have to be fantastic. You, you wouldn't believe the amount of, of, of technology that goes into making vaccines. It is absolutely mind boggling. Um, and, uh, and the technology that's been used is, more, is a thousand times more sophisticated than the technology that took human beings to the moon. That's the most amazing thing, you know. Um, so absolutely not. But on the on the first question, should we have compulsory? You see, again, Christians, we love doing this. See, every time we we come to a moral answer, we say we should. Oh yes, make it illegal. You see, <laughs> anything we don't agree with, we make it illegal. Anything we think should we should have to happen, we make it forced on everybody. It's the law. You know, you've got to do it. Um, and we Christians tie ourselves up in knots because. See, the trouble is I always feel sorry. You see, my wife's the magistrate, so she, she has to deal with these things. You make something illegal, and then the next thing you have is some, someone says, I'm not doing that. They can put me in prison. And then you find that Sheila's got a magistrate a case before her. There's someone who says, well, I'm a Catholic, and I didn't want any of this vaccine, so I, I, I'm refusing it, you see. And they said, well, I'm sending you to prison 30 days. 
you think she'll want to do that? No way. Do you think that if, so the person says, I want to be tried by a jury. So they go to a jury, you get 10 or 12 women, men and women. Do you think those 10 or 12 women and men and women are going to convict this person? Convicted, guilty, send them to jail for 30 days. No, they'll let them off. And the judge will say, you have no, no choice. The facts are before you. There's only one verdict, which is they're guilty. Right, go, go and have your lunch and tell me what your verdict is. See? And they come back and say, not guilty, my Lord. <laughs> Why is that? Because if they think the law is an ass, they don't convict. I'm just saying we need to be sensible about these things. Do you really think, um, so, then, so then, okay, so person comes out of prison after 30 days, come up before the magistrate. You're going to have your jab now, are you? Say, uh, yes, my Lord. They get into the clinic I said, and then they say, no, no, no. And then the security guards have to hold them down. They have to shackle them. And this, this, this patient's screaming and being assaulted by a needle. Can you imagine this happening all over the UK? I can't. So you can see why a lot of the debates you have about what's legal or illegal or what should, they break down just because of common sense. The only way to vaccinate a population is not by telling doctors to become basically army soldiers firing darts with vaccine into people's bottoms from a great distance, but it's, it's a common sense. It's saying, listen, folks, we believe it's your moral duty to be vaccinated for you, for your children, uh, for your community, for all you love and for your wider world. And let's do this together. And you don't need everybody to do it. Two thirds, I'd be very happy with. Um, so that's on that's on the legal side. Um, uh, what was the other one? Yeah, that, those those are the additional questions that came in on the vaccine. Okay. But uh, maybe some, somewhat related, Patrick. But uh, someone asked a slightly wider question for, of you as a Christian. Um, the, the question was more around not just with the vaccine, but with in general with our response to um, what's happened in the last seven or eight months around COVID. The question was. Have we come to the end of democracy? And what hope does the church have to influence when the approach by everyone else seems to be just survival? Yes, I, I, I read this question. It's a very thoughtful one. And I thank you. Um, uh, I'm just initials K and A. I thank you for sending it in. Um, uh, firstly, on, on democracy, uh, you know, we do live in strange times and our world is thinking strange thoughts. and. Uh, I think that our world has become more polarized, more extreme, more emotional in lockdown. It has done strange things. You know, I had a thousand doctors and nurses on a call the other day, just like this. And I could see them all in batches of 50. And I said, wave your hands to me if you are more emotional at the moment in lockdown and all, everything's happening. And 70 to 80% said yes. You know, COVID has made us uh, uh, caricatures, more colorful versions of what we really are normally. Um, and yes, this has affected democracy. Um, but I would say this, that I don't know where the question lives, but in my country, I'm, I'm so glad to live in the, in the UK because I believe we have a democracy that is working. <laughs> you may not approve of all the policies that are going on. And I'm glad I can say to you that I believe that all the political parties are behaving responsibly, uh, carefully, thoughtfully, um, and respectfully in helping uh, our nation navigate this together. Um, and in the United States, we've had one of the most polarized and bizarre elections that has ever taken place in the nation's history because it's not been based on fact. It's been based on a whole kind of other, whole loads of other stuff that people believe, but it seems quite often 
to be disconnected from some of the realities that are going on. Um, and um, we can debate the reasons for that, but i have just say this, an election did take place. Um, the voting seemed to happen in a, in, in a, in a clear way. There's been a, a vetting of it and there has been a result and there will be a government that is, has been elected by a majority of the people in that nation. Um, uh, I think of other areas of the world which have become more autocratic or have um, the outward appearance of democracy, but not the function of it. And I think of our dear brothers and sisters in countries like Belarus at the moment, a nation that is really struggling. And if you don't know what's going on there, I, I was search on Twitter on Belarus and just have a look and, uh, at what's happening there and, and look at uh, big news feeds like CNN and BBC. Um, so we have had a democracy that's been contested in a similar way to President Trump contesting, but uh, re refusing to, uh, uh, well, it's a very, uh, a democracy, a supposed democracy, but actually the voting process itself appeared to be manifestly and grossly corrupt. And the result of that election, I contested by just about uh, most, most of the governments of the world, as far as I can see, but violence on the streets uh, against passively protesting um, individuals, and that's been going on for over 100 days. We have other nations that have become more autocratic versions of their own uh, democracies, uh, 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 like Turkey. So, um, yes, that's true, but, but actually democracy continues to have a great future. What hope has the church to make its influence felt in a world that seems to be concerned only for its own survival? Actually, I think I've given my own answer to that. Yes, it's true that a lot of people, have, you know, we saw this, you know, people buying loot paper and to hell with everybody else type thing, you know. Uh, but actually, we've seen we've seen a uh, hundred trillion tiny acts of human kindness in the UK alone, on a you know, daily basis, day by day, the little things that have helped the world go around and help people understand that there is more to life than a virus. And I thank God for that. Um, and I believe that the church has a huge amount to say to that, and indeed has a brain a great engine for it and a great stimulus of it. Um, uh, I had another part of this question, actually, which I think I've also answered a bit wrong, which is how can the church call back the authority delegated to it by our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there, you see, I was thinking about that before the call began, and I was thinking, well, do we mean authority over personal lies? Do we mean state authority? Um, if the church to call back authority, it implies that, you know, we're back to laws again, you know, how can we make sure that the laws are the right ones in our nation? But um, as I've said, the law is a very blunt instrument with which to regulate things, actually, um, whether it's, you know, sexual behavior in the bedroom or it, it just, it, it, it's, it's not an ideal tool um, uh, for many things that actually need to come from the heart. It's hard to legislate for human kindness. It's easier to legislate for, for cruelty, against cruelty, than to legislate for kindness. Um, uh, and the church, I believe, will, uh, will uh, find its authority grows life by life, conversion by conversion, disciple by disciple. Uh, you know, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And the darker the world, the brighter the light. Uh, and uh, you only need one tiny match ignited in a cave and it blinds everyone with the light. We are salt. You don't need much to salt the whole world. And... Uh, um, I, 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 I won't go any further on that, but I can give you many examples. I, I tell you this, 
let me tell you a secret <laughs> that uh, the chairman of, of many of the largest corporations in the world uh, lie awake at night before annual general meetings of their shareholders. And they're not lying awake at night because of the institutions or the pension funds who own 70% of their shares. They lie awake at night because of they fear some 28-year-old postgraduate student is going to turn up at the shareholder meeting having bought one share for £11 and ask one single question, which is so incredibly embarrassing that it makes a headline almost instantly and goes viral. Um, and you know, if you're if you're a shoe manufacturer, it's probably. Um, please, can you please can you comment how many other factories there are like the one that I'm going to name now on this piece of paper? I have photographs of children working in this factory. There are three of those children outside. They would like to meet you. In fact, I'm coming down. Yes, would you bring them now? These children are working in your factories. I flew them in for this meeting. Would you like to meet them, Mr. Chairman? And would you like to tell us how many other children are working in the rest? You know, oh, oh, I tell you, I tell you this. You don't need many Christians to help change the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. It's not through law, it's through people movements, it's through the greater Thunbergs of this world who are saying things that, that resonate uh, because they're true and they appeal to that inner, that sense of inner rightness that is actually inside us. Uh, that natural conscience, if you like, that Paul talks about in the early chapters of Romans, um, that um, because we somehow, you know, we are a fallen creatures, but we were made in the image of God. And there is, there is, there is, there is, uh, things that are true and right and noble, they resonate. And that's what I found over and over again in the media and things like that. When you say things that, um, you know, people say, you know what, he's right. It's right. That is, that is right. And what's more, it's good. <laughs> and and that, that, I believe, has greater moral force in terms of church influence than passing any number of draconian laws, you know, uh, forcing people to attend church on a Sunday or forcing them to remain married even when they want to kill each other. <laughs> I just, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm praying for is people movements, movements of faith that will transform whole societies one life at a time. So maybe, thank you for that, Patrick, maybe somewhat related. Um, what's your point of view? Is this the great reset? I think you saw this in your, questions that came to you before. Yeah, I did. Yeah. If someone could explain to you what the Great Reset is, I could answer the question. What is the Great Reset, Ron? <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the person is asking, but I guess what they're, if, if, if I can put it in my own words, what they're saying is, is this where we are restarting all over again in a new environment? Yes. As Christians, totally new, new fights, you know, is, is this it? Is this it? Is this like? Well, yes and no. Um, I don't know whether this is good news or bad news. To, it depends on people's perspectives. Some people think, oh, this is the end times. Okay, I'll come back to that one. Okay. Um, we live in Weymouth now, and outside my window, I can see the harbour. because We love the sea. I can see the harbour. And I can tell you, in that harbour, I think it was in 14-no-something, there'll be some historian who tells me I've got the date wrong, but the plague came in to the UK, and half the population of Weymouth died. And we think now, we thought it was originally... Uh, quarter of the UK population, but scientists now think it was half the UK's entire population died because of the plague. So there's nothing, and, 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 and when that happened, you can imagine how many people thought it was the end times. So I'm saying that plagues, these are nothing new. This is actually quite a mild one compared to some 
you know, I've talked about AIDS. Is, is AIDS, was AIDS the end times? No. Um, there have been lots of earthquakes recently. Does that mean it's the end times? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's easy to say, Austin. All I know is that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us to, 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 to value every day. And uh, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, don't be anxious. But I, there's a sense in which we, we, are, we, are, we are here for now. We, 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 are, we, we need to give account for each day of our lives. And I see so many Christians are so caught up with what might be going to happen. I, yeah, it's fine to be a futurist. I'm a futurist. I make a living out of making predictions about trends. But, but when it's sort of, well, you know what, I, I've, 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 you know, okay. We can get to all kinds of positions. Like we don't need to worry about plastic in the oceans. So well, why is that? Well, plastic will, I know it won't break down for a million years, but who cares? You know, I mean, the Lord's coming back in 30. <laughs> okay, well, you better be sure. <laughs> so, I, I'm gonna, sorry, Patrick, I'm going to bring one of our panelists, uh, Michelle. Okay. Because she's just dropped us a note here. The Great Reset is actually a report that oh, uh, okay. earlier on this year. Michelle, maybe Fantastic. you could summarize really briefly. Yeah, it's a proposal by the World Economic Forum to rebuild the econo economy sustainably following COVID-19 um, pandemic. It was um, unveiled in May by Prince Charles and the, the World Economic Forum. Um, it's been criticised for using the pandemic to implement a risky experiment and a petition to stop it gained 880,000 signatures in less than 72 hours. Okay. And the conspiracy theory has now attached to it. Uh, claiming it will be used to bring socialist and environmental changes and the supposed new world order. Okay, well, uh, here, here's what I'm seeing, something a little different. So here, here's, here's a, a picture of the world. And I, I, I love globes uh, because actually they help us to understand what it means when the, the Lord holds the world in the palm of his hand. And the most amazing thing is this, I can tell you the truth, that the world is still turning. It may be surprising to some Christians, they think the world has come to an end, but it is still turning and actually has continued to turn. And the biggest trends in the world that I've described for companies and churches over the last 30 years are continuing to dominate our world. Um, what's happened is that some of those trends have speeded up. Um, so, uh, for instance, the transition from terrestrial shopping to online, you know, it was happening anyway. You know, we walked past shopping centers and I used to think, well, I think they'll be gone by 2025. Now I know they'll be gone by 2021. That's nothing new. It's just a, an acceleration or um, uh, people thinking I might get an electric car. You know what? I think I probably should. Then now definitely going to do that. Uh, governments that have watched the, the, the street air clear for the first time in generations um, who were anyway going to say well it's going to be illegal to buy a new diesel car by 2040. They've woken up one morning and said hey why did we do it 2030? Um, is that new? No, no I mean for, for, I mean uh, I, and I work with many car manufacturers for the last 10 years they, they've been placing huge huge bets huge investments knowing for an absolute certainty that uh, nearly all cars sold uh, by a certain date will be electric. It's the only debate is by when, was it 2040 in Paris or 2030 in Paris that most new cars would be electric or maybe 2032. So what's, what's happened is speed of change has, 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 has for some of these trends has changed but not the direction of them. Um, so yes, it's been a kind of reset but not as profound as, as, as I think has, has, has been imagined. And the same with homeworking. 
Is the whole world going to work at home forever? I don't think so. I should think some people on this call are absolutely thrilled at the thought of being able to get out of their homes and go back into an office because some people on this call may well have young children at home. They haven't, they've been trying to do Zoom calls in their, own, in their, in their bedroom at, uh, during the day and then they worry, they worry they can't sleep at night because the bed has never cooled down. It's been, it was hot during the night. It was hot during the day because they was lying on bed doing all their work because it's the only place in the house they could do their work. You know, we need to be really realistic that and human beings are still human beings. The greatest uh, part of being a human being from the sociological point of view is that we're community people. We were designed as social creatures. We were designed to belong, to be parts of tribes and families and communities and neighborhoods, to be part of churches and, and small groups and, and, uh, and all the rest. And of course, COVID has robbed us of much of that. Have we, have, we, have we had a reset so we don't need each other anymore? No, we still need to gather. We are programmed together. We have this, this uh, instinctive desire to be together, whether it's in football stadiums or in celebration events to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. These things endure. So I, I would say that I think the world would be less changed than many imagine in the longer term, but we will get to a number of trends uh, will we'll progress much more quickly. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, let me just come in on here and let's take a little time check. We've got about five, five or 10 minutes left um, or, or, on this session. So I'll ask you to focus on the, the stuff that remains to be done. And then, uh, Patrick, once we have um, uh, um, finished the live stream, Patrick will be available in, in the Zoom room for a little while longer for, for further chat. Um, but I wanted to come in on this because we're doing a lot of work right now, as you can imagine. Uh, one of the national leaders of Elam, and we've been discussing this uh, um, at national level, also local church level, thinking about what, what, what are the implications for what we've seen and experienced in a positive way, the positive sides of it as well. Um, what are those implications for, for future life on ch in church? Now, some of the things that you pointed out earlier was that, that there's been far more engagement, online engagement, and, and the, the reach is, is, has extended. There's been a tremendous release of believers who are caring for other believers and people doing the community work. Some of the million people that volunteered for the NHS, uh, uh, the, the, the Ministry of Distribution of Food has become uh, much, more, much more pronounced. Um, people taking care of each other, our cell groups, we're a thoroughgoing cell, thorough cell church, the care, the lay leadership, all those things are positive. The use of technology where we realize now we're quite ridiculous in expecting everybody to be at every meeting, even the, the, the more um, uh, management type meetings in person and so on. We could never have done this as easily we did without, without technologies, all those positives. So just as anything else that you think would be useful for us to put into the mix as we reconsider life after COVID and how we take the church forward? Yeah, well, I, I think there's going to be a great hunger together, actually. I think on the rebound, you know, I think people might have thought to themselves, you know, if there was a local football stadium that was booked for a big, you know, great big celebration, would I have gone? Well, after COVID, I will. <laughs> Just, just to, just to say, just to, just to shout in the face of COVID and say, "There, you didn't get us after all," and just to celebrate this newfound freedom. I, I, I think we'll, I think we will see quite a lot of things happen on the rebound like that. Um, 
yes, of course, there'll be casualties along the way. People got got out of the habit of meeting with meeting together with believers, but there will also be others. You know, um, our own church, uh, we have we have welcomed a significant number of new members during COVID, during lockdown. We've, we've never met them, <laughs> but they're dying to meet us. <laughs> they're joining home groups virtually. They're local people. They've just moved into the area. Um, so uh, one of the things I think we, we will become is more distance agnostic. What do I mean by that? It's a bit, um, in the past, our ministries were so limited to how far you could drive to a meeting, really. And if, you want, if you're going to go green, then how far you walk a bike. Um, so, but with, with, uh, with this Zoom technology and other platforms like it, we realize actually that what blessings there are to transcend a, a city boundary or even a national one. Uh, I mean, the ability to just zone in ministers from all around the world into a meeting is just sensational. And to think we've had these tools, but we never use them. And so many of my corporate clients have completely rethought how they're going to do um, teams in the future. Um, uh, and they uh, just, because they've had all these tools and never, never bothered to use them. And I think, as you say yourself, it's going to be the same with, ch with church leaders as well, for instance. They say, do we, I know there's uh, three of us have got to come up from Southampton and one down from Nottingham, but why can't they join us by Zoom tomorrow and the rest of us will just meet in the, in, 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 in the, in the church office? And we'll see a lot more of that, I think. So it'd be very interesting, but um, I think the physicality is going to continue to be very, very important. Hospitality. Okay. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Okay, so I, I, I'll, I'll go off now and um, Ron, just take through any, any final questions and at 7.30 um, we, we will um, finish the live stream and just go on briefly yep. with... with um, and I'm happy to linger. If there's a couple of people who want to chat, if it's 100, that's fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, Ron. Over to you. Thank you. Thank so, you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. And many of the all your ministry. Yeah, Thank many you. of the questions are related to some of the things you've spoken about before. But uh, someone's just asking for a little bit more on your point of view on the Bill, Bill Gates microchip containing the vaccine implant. I know you touched on that before, but it would be good to again hear from you on that. Okay. And then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, just say on, on, the, on the microchip implant, you know, um, uh, I, I don't know where, I don't know who dreams these things up. Uh, I, I really don't. Um, but uh, in our social media world, things rapidly become fixed into people's minds. Um, and as I said, back in when HIV started, it was, oh, it was all came out of a, you know, I don't know, some Soviet laboratory and it was all a deliberate attempt to wipe out humankind. Or something. I mean, it's just, uh, all I can tell you is uh, that, um, but you see, the trouble is once a conspiracy, it's all about trust or rather lack of it. You see, um, if people don't trust people in government and they don't trust chief medical officers and they don't trust the doctors in the hospital and they don't trust their GP and they don't trust their church leaders, then actually I, I'm probably going to waste my time trying to answer this question because why should they trust me? But all I can say is, and, 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 and uh, all I can say is, I can absolutely guarantee to you that it would be impossible. <laughs> I mean, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I really do, because <laughs> then we could program people for human goodness. All we do is give them a vaccine, then we could treat their brains and say, hello, good morning, when they want to kill someone, say, hello, good morning, and they do a nice, nice, give them a nice hug instead of throttling them. You know, I wish it was that easy. Honestly, I really do. 
I'm joking, of course, but it just isn't. Um, we don't have the tech. Uh, you know, we, we, I can tell you, we, we are able to implant chips inside people's heads. Uh, 500,000 have them inside their heads at the moment. 450,000 are connected to the, the hearing nerve and it's restored their hearing, okay? Uh, it's a little device, it's connected to a microphone or, um, and it broadcasts radio waves to hear and it stimulates the nerve. And a, a friend of mine, it's amazing, she said, I had it done, I was completely deaf all my life. I got this little thing in and suddenly no one told me that the lift goes ting. And you, when, you, when it comes to the wall, it goes ting. Isn't that clever? <laughs> and it's amazing to hear for the first time. Now, please don't tell me that's the mark of the beast. You know, that's just, that's not even a chip in the brain. 50,000 people have chips in their brain worldwide, uh, but they are because they have had terrible accidents. Their necks are completely broken, they're paralyzed, and the chips enable them to, to think, they can find a way to communicate with that chip. It's a very primitive thing, but and, and, and it means the light, light turns off and they can go to sleep, or it means that they can summon some help or something like that. I think that's a jolly good thing. I, I tell you, the, the, the amount of technology required to put a single chip inside someone's head who's paralyzed from the neck down. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 20,000 pound operation. You're talking about massive issues. The thought of someone just being able to inject into your body and all of a sudden it happens. It's unbelievable. It, it's, it's impossible. There are no chips inside these things. You, they would be visible if they were. Um, these samples have to be strained. Um, um, uh, the pass-through fill, the vaccine fluid is pass-through filters anyway. Um, it's, it's absolute no, 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 no. It is not true. But of course, those who um, don't believe me, um, well, I don't know where to go now. <laughs> I don't know who to recommend to Steve. <laughs> okay, thank you. And, and I just, I'll take a final question here. And then remember, as Colin said, if you have further questions, and you'd like to dialogue with Patrick for a little bit longer. We're here at the end of the webinar, so by all means, stay in here. We can chat a little bit more, but I, I've scanned the questions and more or less we've hit most of it. Um, some of you are asking for much more detail and some of the answers, and we can certainly do that after. But this one is more asking your point of view on something, Patrick. It's uh, with respect to the vaccination and what happens after. So particularly in if we get ourselves into the situation where individuals are prohibited from services, not church services, but services in general, um, if they choose to not have the vaccination. Um, I, I can't see that would happen for the reasons I've described. You know, the law is a blunt, you know, again, you know, I think of, of, of magistrates and juries. So, you know, someone says, it's my human right to be able to go to church. He says, nope, it's not. I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm going in. Nope, not without a vaccine, you're not. Um, I just can't see that happening because if you do, see, the chances are, if it, say London, uh, it's probably probably the case that over half of London has got some antibody exposure, antibodies already, or they've got some T cell immunity already. It may, it may fade, but they've got some. And we vaccinate, um, you know, and you go and vaccinate 60% of London as well. Um, and then some people have got kids at home with, with snotty colds, and they've probably acquired a little bit of immunity that way. Some people may just be naturally immune. Um, I mean, the virus will have nowhere to go. It, you, you, it's a bit like um, uh, if you've ever tried, ever tried to make a wood, a wood fire to try and cook something in a little wood clearing or, or something like that. You know, if you don't have enough dry tin, tinder and, and other twigs, 
or of this or the or the embers are spread too wide the fire goes out so it's the same with the virus unless unless there's enough heat in the virus to connect to other pieces of timber and get them smoking it basically dies out um so yes we'd have occasional cases and little clusters and things like that but the main strength of of, of this pandemic would have gone and and i i, I don't think the people will legislate therefore Okay, well, thank you so much, Patrick. It's brilliant having you with us. And we appreciate the fact that you could be hanging around a little bit at, at the yeah. end as well for those who choose to be with and us. Just, yeah, and just to say, um, if, they, if you want more, I just posted, I posted another article today on uh, my website. The website is, if you remember, it's, it's global, that's like the world, and change, it's still turning, okay? So it's globalchange.com. And on there, you'll find a lot of a lot of questions answered about COVID. There's a, there's quite a lot of uh, videos that I've done of sessions like this and other resources. Um, there's also my my phone number, my link. Can you hear me there? Twitter. Home for is my actual mobile phone number. It's my phone number. Oh my word, it's ringing now. <laughs> it's my mobile phone number. So uh, um, please be kind. 15 million other people on that. It, literally, there have been 15 million people who've used that website, and they've all got access. So if I don't answer immediately, or I miss your LinkedIn post um just wait three days and repeat and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to continue the conversation I'll, I'll just do what i can to help if i can thank you back back to you colin okay muted you're, you're muted you're colin. muted colin we can't hear you Sorry. Oh, that had to happen. Yes, <laughs> I muted myself. That had. To I'm happen. glad it's not just me that had the technology. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So thank you so much, Patrick. You've done um, an amazing job of, of taking us over so much, so much territory uh, tonight. I just um, be before we say goodbye to those watching on live stream, and we'll continue in in the Zoom room uh, for a while. But uh, have you any idea um, from your point of view? when we're going to be back to normal, and I mean normal, in other words, uh, the, all the restrictions will be lifted, and, and would you see anything happening there? Would it be just like small communities being locked down? Or uh, there seems to be saying that by Easter, early summer, um, this will all be over, what do you think? I, I think uh, when the summer months come, you remember how we, we, we had a, a, an amazingly um, normally feeling type of summer really if you think about it and that's partly weather I think there's lots of things that happen with sunlight that we don't understand so Colin I think that by the time we get to May June um even if the world hasn't got quite normal it the summer months will really help us the big test will be where we are in September next year but I would hope that by then there'll be enough people vaccinated and we'll have got on top of it um and it won't, we won't have a world without Covid but I believe we'll be much more back to normal. The things that will take more time, I think, will be um, probably um, things like uh, flying in, in big jets, um, cruise ships, uh, big football matches. Not just a question of regulation, but a question of trust. You know, you think how worried people are about there might be chips in, 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 the, in the vaccine. Well, that is not actually a particularly rational fear, but it is a very rational fear to think that actually there could be in a football stadium there might be a super spreader or two uh, next June and maybe I'll give the match a miss. So I, I think we'll see people being more cautious. It's so weird. I can, now I used to fly in planes maybe 50 times a year and that doesn't sound very green, but it was my job. Um, 
But you know, I'm, I'm, I said to Sheila yesterday, I can hardly even get my head around the thought of getting getting on a train to an airport. You know, there's going to need to be a certain amount of psychological readjustment. It's not just a question of whether we can, it's a question of whether we will feel like it. Yeah, well, that, that's for sure. Okay, so at this point, we're going to say go goodbye to those who are watching us on live stream. There will be a version of this that we will release on KTTV, just on our normal platform. So those of you who, and many, many people are watching live stream, we'd love to uh, spend more time with you. But anyway, we'll be back to this a little later. But and for now, how do we get goodbye. on a Zoom call? Well, how does this happen? Do we sort of drop automatically in, or do we have to press a knob on our screens? No, I think I think you just stay there, Patrick, okay. and and they will they will come in to you just All as right. we are. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is fun. This is great fun. So anyway, thank you very much for thank those you. who are watching on the live stream, and uh, we'll say goodbye to you, and we'll continue in the Zoom room. Thank you. Okay, God bless. Thank you, Colin. So, panelists, if you can just uh, help me keep our eyes on the chat as well as the Q&A, and we'll highlight it. But panelists, this is your opportunity where you can ask uh, a question directly of Patrick as well. But Patrick, I'll start the ball rolling because someone's had asked an ancillary question to the very last question about the future of vaccines. They, they, they said they were referring more to things or situations like airlines preventing you from flying if you didn't take a vaccine. So there were more ask, I guess it's an opinion. You know, where do we see this all going? Is this gonna be right? Is this gonna be the way, a new way of life? What, what do you think? Well, I, I've been saying for a long time, you know, that um, I think that um, it's already happening that people are saying, you know, if you come and have a cruise with us, we will pay for your free test, you know, because you, you're paying a thousand pounds for your cruise. So of course they're gonna give you a 20 pound free test. And I can quite see that, that might extend. And they say, actually, no, things have to change a bit here. But no, I can imagine, I can imagine um, everything gets privatized, doesn't it? I can imagine that uh, in some countries, it might be that there's, there are two methods of getting a vaccine. There's the, because health services like that in most of the world, you get a vaccine if you're lucky through the public health service, we get a vaccine because you've got some money and you're going to pay for it, or your insurer pays for it, or your company buys it for you. Um, and I can quite see that you could have a situation where in some countries, uh, let's say in six to eight months time, uh, when the whole population has not yet been vaccinated because there is no health budget, what's happening is they're saying, uh, if you're not a priority group, then, the, then you have to pay for your own. And they say, well, I haven't got enough money. And then they want to go on holiday somewhere out of the holiday budget. And they say, oh, you want to fly to Greece to you? Well, we'll vaccinate you. And then we'll take you on our, on our holiday. Um, because you don't like to take people who haven't been vaccinated, you see. And uh, I mean, you, you, I, I don't know if you remember the days when we had to get, you know, you had to have your, your medical card, you want to travel to any country, you had to use smallpox and your diphtheria and your polio and your, and it's less common now, but I can quite imagine that, um, that these cards get produced again quite soon. They've got, you show that you've got your, you know, your, your, your jabs are all up to date, we used to say. Well, your, your latest jab may be a, a, a COVID vaccine. Your jabs being up to date means you've got a COVID vaccine done in the last nine months. I, I can see it. I also see, uh, by the way, um, that, that one of the biggest areas for growth of uh, crime, organized crime, is going to be theft of vaccine. Because can you imagine the black market value of a million doses of vaccine uh, in a country where you can't get it? My word. So uh, actually, we, uh, we, we had a phone call to our church here. 
saying we've got a nice church building this is from a gp practice so would you mind using can we use the church to do vaccine program it's starting mid-december they said sure then we got a phone call saying mm, i'm not sure it's secure enough so uh so yes i think i, I think there will be a, a, a widespread availability of private access to testing and vaccines within the year okay anyone else I mean, I'll ask another question then, if others are just uh, thinking about it still. So it looks, it looks like uh, the developed nations, for obvious reasons, will be first in terms of access to the vaccine. And supply and demand says that it's going to be a while before everyone has everything they need. But there's a possibility here in this next six to 12 months that some of the underdeveloped countries could get left behind. And there's a major impact with that kind of strategy, isn't it? Can you, could you comment on that? And it's an issue that's really dear to my heart. And I think it's one of the most troubling issues of our age, you know, that 1% uh, of the world owns 50% of the world's wealth. And if you're watching this call today and you have running water in your house that comes from a tap that's piped in and it's chlorinated, then you're already probably in the 1%. This is the incredible thing. We don't, sometimes we forget how privileged we are. And uh, so much of the world has, um, you know, struggles with food, let alone, I'm not saying some people don't in the UK as well, but uh, struggling for just the basics of life. And in such countries, they can't afford to pay the taxes to the government to, for them to provide them with health care. And most of the population may be in such a situation. So um, this is, it's, a, it's the greatest moral issue of our day, I believe, this inequality. It is unsustainable. I plotted it forward. I, I think it's quite likely that by 2050, 60% uh, of the world's wealth could be owned by 1%. Uh, in history terms, I don't know of societies that have, have survived without revolution uh, when you get up to such contrasts. So uh, our world is in for a very unhappy future unless this issue is dealt with. That's not. I'm not speaking as a socialist here. I'm just speaking as someone who knows history um, and, uh, and um, with a desire for peace uh, in our world. This must be addressed. Okay, anyone else? Hello, Patrick. Um, thank you so much, it's been really useful. Hello, Claudette. Hi, thank you. My question, if, it, if it's a question or it's an observation, I, I feel extremely sad that in order for vaccines to be produced, there's loss of life because people will obviously put themselves forward um, to in, in trials, etc. Um, and when I heard that in Brazil, there'd been quite a lot happening there with a couple of vaccines and they shut everything down and that people had obviously passed away here. My question much more is about those with pre-existing um, medical conditions and, you know, the use of, of people like that that would put themselves forward and the dangers of testing that takes away life. I know we can't bring the life back and, and it's necessary, but do you know how governments make the decisions on which nations are trialing or in this country, for instance, how was the piloting done with, with, with the Oxford virus and, and what considerations were there for people with vulnerabilities? 
Well, these things are usually uh, done uh, in, in democracies. <laughs> they're done on a voluntary basis. Yeah. Uh, in dictatorships, they're often done on prisoners and things like that, you know. Um, uh, so, um, because people don't have human rights <laughs> in the same way. So, but, uh, you know, I, I have discussions amongst members of my family. I mean, there'd be no shortage of people queuing up that I know. I mean, honestly, it, 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 I tell you, it's about to happen. You know, I, I would ask you a question, Claudette. You personally, I'm not asking you to, to please don't divulge anything about your own personal medical history. I'm asking you a general question. If you, I'm going to make an assumption that you're in good health, but if you're in reasonable health, and uh, the and the the doctors said um, uh, that we are opening a vaccine centre, uh, but it's not full public yet. Uh, this is phase A, and phase A will be guinea pigs. That is to say, it's the next phase. And we're, we are going to take a risk uh, for people who we think are desperately at risk. We're going to give it to, if they would like. It's voluntary, remember it's voluntary, or everything, all the vaccinations are voluntary. Mm -hmm. But if they would like, then the over 80s who would like can have it now. But if you'd like to help humankind, and as a little thank you, you'll get the vaccine soon. But if you'd like to help humankind, and we think there's an incredibly small chance it will, it will damage you, because we've got safety testing with then please volunteer. I'm interested to know, Claudette, whether you'd be tempted, because I would be. I wouldn't. Okay, well, that's fine. You see, I'm a doctor and I would. Loss of life, loss of one person's life because of taking a risk, I find still hard to take. I, well, if it's a lot of my own, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. the point. I'm only volunteering me. I'm not volunteering yeah. you, Claudette. I'm yeah. volunteering me. I'm saying I would go down there yeah. because I would work out, I think, life's too short. I think the risk of me dying if I was to get COVID is about say one in 200 now, maybe. The risk of me, um, and I think it'd be quite likely because I'm quite a sociable person. I'm, I'm gonna get COVID in the next 10 years. <laughs> Something's gonna get me, you know, I don't want not to go to church for 10 years. So I'm gonna get myself vaccinated to stop myself from having a one in, one in 200 chance of dying and maybe then infecting my wife and so. Or, but, I, but if, the if, if I was told that the current death rate for the vaccine is one in 2000, we think, but we don't know who. Yes. We can't classify which groups to give it to, or why they're dying, or um, I'd volunteer. I think I would, I would grab it. Now, it might be just for selfish reasons, but I'd be perfectly happy to do it. I'm just saying there are lots of people, and that's how these vaccine trials, a lot of them were done, um, is, is saying, would you like to volunteer and say, yeah, you bet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, even though they say 50% chance you're not going to get anything, it was just water, but we won't tell you. So, yeah, yeah, I'm up. I'm up for it. Just give me, bring it on. Give me the water if you want. Give me the, just give me, give me a go. So, so Claudia, that's for me is the, is the moral dilemma dealt with. I think the issue is informed consent. Yeah. What I think would be unethical would be for, let's say, a whole load of elderly people with Alzheimer's who can't give informed consent are used as guinea pigs, and we find that a third of them have died. You know, I mean, this that would be a, a monstrous crime, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. You've given me a good perspective on it. Thank you. Well, I notice we still have 106 people on, <laughs> on this call. <laughs> <laughs> which is almost the number we started with. So I noticed the numbers came down and they popped up again. So people obviously went to the loo, had a cup of coffee, came back. 
I'm just wondering what you know whether they want, want us to dance a jig or sing a nursery rhyme. I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Please use the chat screen, folks. Help us, put us out of our agony, and yes. help us to understand how to how to improve your life tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still here, uh, um, um, Patrick. Um, I'm monitoring and, and listening. Um, just while while people are are just regrouping themselves, and actually a whole load of new people have joined us and and so on. So okay. and. Um, they will have the opportunity of reviewing this. This, but um, one of the things that I know we we have discussed uh, um, around our table as as executive leaders of of Elam uh, as a whole, and also um, in our own um, local church context, um, I, I appreciate the emphasis that you've made tonight on um, saying, for example, this is a matter of 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 individual choice, and so on, and you've laid out. The good, good, strong moral case for um, uh, receiving as much information, and then if people feel comfortable going ahead with it, because we are protecting other people. I just, I just wonder, uh, you know, if you don't mind, what advice would you give to us as church leaders on the stand that we should take, um, bearing in mind that we are influencers and and people do expect some kind of a lead from us with respect to the vaccine in particular. I think it's a difficult one because of the, you know, I think there are sort of um, issues of conscience for some. And so I guess, um, uh, but <clears throat> without, I mean, I don't even know yet, you know, in our own area, what kind of vaccine we might be offered. I don't think we have a choice, but, um, um, but in, in general terms, I would be encouraging people um, to, to take COVID seriously um, and not become a statistic and to, to follow medical advice. I think that, that would be my, my, my principle, I think, Colin, which is to say that um, as Christians, I believe we have a duty to be good citizens, that we should not be a festering reservoirs of infection for the rest of our community. And we, should, we have a duty to look after our own health and a duty to protect the health of others. And I think that would be my starting principle. And that on the whole, unless there's very good reason otherwise, we should follow medical advice. Yeah. Um, good. I, I, I know, Davinda, I, um, I wonder if you have any questions or anything else you'd like Patrick to expand on, because we've had quite active discussion about this in our, in our cell group, haven't we? Uh, yes, uh, Colin, can you hear me? Yes, we can perfectly. Thank yeah. you. Um, I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds a lot of sweetness and light, um, you know, with respect to uh, you know everything that you've said. But who would have thought that we could be locked down for virtually nine months already? Uh, you know, I mean, you say that this is not plausible that somebody could. Uh, insist that you have a, a vaccine or make your life so you know, unconscious, unconsciously difficult uh, that uh, you wouldn't be able to operate, uh, you know, fulfill your duties, meet the, the needs of your family uh, without a vaccine. Uh, I, I, th I, I think it is, you know, it's potentially, uh, you know, going to be engineered. Uh, not that there may be, compulsion in, in, in as much as the military will will be trained and, and say that uh, you know you, you have to be vaccinated your name's on the list 
but I could see a situation, for example, where um, you know a school is so disrupted that they say, actually, uh, we need you to prove that um, uh, that you're immune uh, mm. from from the COVID. And as far as I'm aware, there is no test whereby you can prove that you're immune. But of course, there is a test where they can prove uh, that you're infected. And there's quite a lot of uh, concern about the validity of some of those tests and I'm you know I'm not opposed to testing per se if if people have symptoms but I'm I'm, I'm sl slightly cautious about the the concept of screening a whole population yeah well um, several things that several things that Devinda you're absolutely right that all kinds of things that are hard to conceive of today could happen um uh and uh, what would cause that to take place would be if uh, there was a very a further piece of very bad news and I'll give you an example if uh, it turned out let us say you know a new mutation was happening in a mink farm or something like that and the new mutant turned out to be twice as deadly as the previous one turned out to be more like mares with 30% mortality rates or it started killing children as well or you know if something was to happen that caused us to completely uh, rethink, blank sheet approach to this, then we will do whatever it takes. I, I've, often, I've often used the analogy of wartime uh, with this, which I think helps us to understand it. When this first happens, um, I, 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 I predicted and was right, that governments would respond uh, with the policies of war without the language of it. And central banks said one after the other, Look, watch my lips when I say this. We will do whatever it takes. If you have to print a billion dollars, we will print a billion dollars. We will do whatever it takes to stop our country being basically destroyed. And, and so you saw gigantic measures being taken by the chancellor in this country. We only spent 18 billion uh, over six months, the first six months, looking after people with COVID in the health service. But we spent 170 billion more trying to preserve the economy, uh, uh, paying for uh, up to 25% of all privately owned workers to be on the payroll of the government as furloughed workers. Astonishing. You've never seen such measures outside of wartime. Now, what you're describing, Devinde, is absolutely correct. That if, we're now coming out of that, but if uh, there was uh, some really bad news and we return to that the policy of wartime again, then it will be whatever it takes, you know, suspension of human rights, whatever it takes. Yes, you're correct. I'm just yeah, saying, I, mean, I, think, like, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, it's a couple of things, a couple of things you said that, I mean, the central banks, their, their, their basic product is debt and they're happy to create oh. as much debt as, as possible. And, uh, you know, through bailing out some of these uh, companies, which, probably should be allowed to have gone fast. I mean, particularly in the airline industry. I mean, they, those, they've, been, they've been bailed out and the, the banks have bought themselves a seat on the boards of those airlines. And now they're insisting, I mean, Qantas is, uh, is an example. They're insisting that everybody needs a health passport. Uh, you know, and they're talking about being tested on almost a, a sort of a bi-monthly basis. I mean, it's completely disproportionate. I know doctors uh, that had COVID back in February and they've recovered within a couple of weeks, they're back at work. I know one person oh, yeah. who was hospitalized. I mean, I, I've spoken to a lot of people, I've given my eyes open 
um, and they were grossly overweight and diabetic. And when I've read the literature, they say the sequelae of having COVID is, has been found in, in kidney, kidney issues. So there's a lot that's been portrayed in the media about the effects of COVID long-term, you know, affecting people's uh, sort of, uh, you know, sort of mm. a respiratory system. But I mean, for the normal healthy individual, I don't think it's, uh, you know, such a monster that people need to be concerned about. But I mean, obviously I'm very careful myself, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just concerned that there is so much, there is so much behind this. And, uh, you know, the solution to all of, all of these woes and ills in society seems to be a permanent pathway into my body. And as long as I'm prepared to accept that I will have a vaccine on a very regular basis, and not just one vaccine, but a series of vaccines on an ongoing basis, well, then I, I will be considered to be a, a considerate citizen and a compliant citizen. Uh, and I will live at uh, peace and harmony with, with, hum with my with Yeah, my it will be in a very men. sad situation if that happens for the reasons I've described, because the answer to this is not vaccines. It can't be. We cannot have the country, uh, the global economy stop every time there's a mutant virus. And what we actually need is, is, is what we should have had 20 years ago, which is a whole set of very effective antivirals, which are as effective as as uh, as, as antibacterials against, um, say, viral meningitis. We will uh, bacterial meningitis. I'm sure we will have them one day, but we are we are at, at the moment vulnerable. But yes, you're right. We could see uh, we will see a spectrum of measures taken by different governments. But yeah. at the end of the day, it depends on their on their um, dictatorships could do things differently. So in China. Um, they, their whole response to COVID is, is similar to what it was with SARS. Uh, with SARS, they put uh, uh, those who, who they had found were infected yeah. popped into hospitals, they put machine guns and barbed wire around them and didn't, yeah. people weren't allowed out. It was a very totalitarian, a very effective response. You can't, it is hard to imagine at the moment those kind of measures taking place in the UK, but it might. But, yeah, but Patrick, but Patrick <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, they have been taken. You know, people's businesses are, are closed, people can't work. People can't employ people. You know, they can't feed their families. You know, a third of taxi drivers are having yeah. to hand their keys. And I mean, I think we are there. I, I, I mean, I, you, you know, you know, with respect, I think it's a it's a really desperate situation for a lot of people. I mean, the, you know, the transfer of wealth that's taking yeah. place. This this wealth that you spoke about, it doesn't go to money heaven. It literally changes hands. And what you're talking about in the third world. You know, those are structural inequalities because of the, you know, the political system, mm. you know, and I'm, you know, well, I have I to say some, some, some of what you're talking about, it is I the language of reason. Unfortunately, um, it's all too easy to, to burn it up. Um, and that's what's happening in my town here, yeah. uh, which is that actually you get, um, I mean, it happens in NGOs as well. I mean, when we set up different programs in different parts of the world, it takes an awful lot of time to set up. Um, let's say a, a charity in a country. It takes an awful lot of time to set up a Christian ministry in a country. It's very easy to fact the fact to be demolished, and and all that work disappears. And you have to start all over again. Um, and and unfortunately, that happens with businesses. You land up with businesses um, locally that um, you know they have the restaurant that can't pay its staff. It runs into debt. Uh, it, it then lands up uh, selling a property that's worth very little. Um, you might think someone's going to make a killing out of it. Unfortunately, Weymouth, it'll probably land up as an empty property for a very long time. And then, so it, it, I've got another question here. It says, from a business perspective, how can we help the economy to get going in the light of a lot of businesses failing and what business can or should be started? And then, it, well, that's a very big question. Um, all I'd say is, and it does connect again with what Devinder's saying, 
that despite what I've said, there are some people who will find themselves in a fortunate place because actually they had, you know, some money from pension or um, they, they had a windfall from something else or they were managed to, they owned their own house and they managed to uh, actually in that kind of situation, they did manage to buy the restaurant off someone who was basically nearly bankrupt and they managed to get something going again. So yes, it's true. A lot of finance is going to change hands. They're going to see a lot of new businesses emerge in, in the chaos of all of this. Um, and, and indeed they already are. Um, yeah, and but, but the average um, you know, truck driver is not going to be able to be uh, retrained as a, a software engineer. You know, there, there are people that are going to be excluded from this new economy. And uh, I, I, I don't think it's all sweetness and light, to be honest. I think there's a lot of, uh, I, I think there's a lot of uh, darkness behind it. Well, I, I think that's actually, I, th I think the, I char think the character of it, the yeah. character of it, the nature of it is not, it, you know, it's, it's we're protect you because we're, you know, we say it's good for you. I, I think most people would be quite happy. To, and look, where, where has the messaging been that eat well, rest well, exercise, you know, get some fresh air, build yourself up, be strong. You know, the health messaging has not been particularly positive. It's stay at home, stay away. You know, I mean, if, if you see how they're training children, you know, almost to be fearful of, of people. I mean, I see mm. people looking at me, they're like, you know, has he got something, has he not? I, just, mm. I mean, I, 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 do, I think there is a certain, certain degree of programming going on and we all feel it. I mean, mm. their manager in Nando's will tell you there's something not right about this. The man Absolutely on the street right. will tell you, you know, there's, not, there's something yes. not right about this. I mean, it, look, it is completely disproportionate. And, you know, there, there are several agendas that are making good use of this. And, you know, I mean, that's well, a, I, that's a discussion I, I, for another I, I, day. Not, Yes, you're making some, some, some statements there that are quite strong, disproportionate and agendas. Um, and I, I would I'd be very cautious about both of those. What I'd say is this, and I believe this passionately with all my heart, that I'm so glad that I'm not prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> okay, quite seriously. And we're called to pray for those in authority. It's very easy to take mug shots and pot shots at Bank of England and all these awful people. I think it's really difficult. I would hate to be in, in uh, the, the head of the health service at the sure. moment. Um, we live in a broken world where every option that you have before you can feel broken. Um, Sheila's used to that in family court. She tries to put families together in court and every single option she has before her in terms of judgment feels wrong because they're all broken. Why? Because the situation she's been given to sort out is broken, so broken. And I think for Boris Johnson, that the country, because of our situation right now, COVID has... Uh, um, in some respects, brought us to our knees. Um, it has destroyed livelihoods. It has caused hunger. It has wrecked marriages. It has driven people to suicide. It has laid waste years of education, which can never be replaced because- No, I agree, I agree, but Patrick, I do agree with everything you said, but you know, this COVID does not have a personality. You know, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have a motive. It doesn't have a purpose. And that yet the way the language, it's very emotive, the way you're describing it is almost as though it is a, a silent killer. It's an invader. It's, you know, well, it, it, I, it, I think it, it's right to personalize it, actually, because yeah. I think it is right to understand uh, our enemy. We have a common enemy. And although viruses are not living as such, um, I believe that it is a common threat. Um, and uh, I've used the rhetoric of war, which I think is appropriate. 
Um, and indeed, it requires a unified effort for the whole of us as a society, not to be, um, as you've so rightly said, not to be over the top in, our, in, in, uh, in, in, in the irrationality of fear, but to be a compassionate and caring of each other as we make logical and coherent responses which are balanced and appropriate. Now that is a really difficult thing to engineer as a prime minister or as the head of the health service. And we need to pray for these people. Yeah. They have real wisdom. Um, and, uh, you know, I would hate to be the, uh, the chancellor of the exchequer at the moment. Yeah. I really would, knowing I've got uh, all the capability, I've got a certain amount of firepower, but how much dare I spend it? And do I, do I saddle future populations with tremendous debt? How many people do I furlough this month? How long should I keep that going for? Should it be 80% wages or only 60% wages? I'm so glad I'm not Chancellor of the Exchequer, aren't yeah. you, Davinda? Honestly, yeah. it's yeah. so easy for us to say, oh, they're doing this, this, and all this. It's very difficult to lead in the crisis. And future generations will be very judgmental and harsh, I believe, on the leaders and said, oh, they should have done this, they should have done that. And oh my goodness, you know, I, I, let us be slow to judge, I would say, um, but let us be we're swift um, to, uh, uh, in our Listen. prayers and, um, and, uh, and our compassion. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Patrick, can I just uh, jump in there with a question that's come in on Q&A? Uh, in your opinion, what's the best way to quickly identify and expose a conspiracy theory? Um, uh, okay, quick way to identify and expose a conspiracy theory. Well, you it's come back to trust. You need a trusted source of information. Um, now, that's the problem with the conspiracy theorist is that it's usually other conspiracy theorists are the trusted source. Um, so I don't mind what it is. Personally, uh, I, I, I think we have um, superb journalism in this country. And that's one of the things I, I think we're very, very lucky to have. Um, and I, I uh, it, is, it is unusual, it, it happens, but it is unusual for our largest news circulation uh, broadsheets to, to collectively make a major error over science. Um, so I'm thinking of the combination, I'm not in any order, Financial Times, Times, Daily Telegraph, uh, Guardian, uh, Observer, um, and the Sundays of those, uh, the, the, the collective muscle, the collective, uh, the, 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 the professionalism that's there is quite extraordinary. People often say, oh, the press is terrible. My experience is the press are on the whole, very careful about how they report. They have huge professional uh, pride in reporting well. Um, uh, uh, the BBC, I, I think is a superb institution. Yes, all institutions have a collective bias, but I can't remember the last time the Beeb made a massive error in its scientific reporting. Um, uh, so, uh, so I think we're just very, very fortunate in that regard. So I would say go there. And, and if, you, if you are finding messages that's very different from the conspiracy theorist sites, then take very great care who you believe. That would be my answer to that one. Okay, thank you. I see we're getting close to nine o'clock here, so, and we still have 94 people with us, but- uh, I know. Can I just quickly rattle through some good ones? What about the impact of poverty and the change in legal framework? I think these are terribly, terribly difficult questions, um, as I've said, 
Um, and uh, especially, you know, again, it's easy to think what poverty you're talking about. Are you talking about someone starving in Zimbabwe because they, and they can't feed their children? Are you talking about someone in Uganda who's got a 12-year-old who's looking after three of her younger children because her parents are dead and selling her body for sex every night? I mean, it's easy to uh, think that uh, we have the answers when uh, actually the answers vary so much from one country to another. Um, just the fact that COVID vaccines have been developed so quickly represent advanced in science. Yes, it does. Um, quantum leap. We have seen more innovation in pharma, drug discovery and development in the last six months than in the previous decade and a half. It's very exciting and the results you'll see uh, of in, in drug discovery and innovation for the next three decades. If a person's class is extremely vulnerable and has chronic obstructive um, pulmonary disease, is it wise to go for the vaccine knowing that they may not be able to withstand the side effects? Um, I am not an expert in that. Uh, you need to take your own medical advice. Your own doctor need to see about that question. Um, regarding that, is there any possibility of negative reactions if the vaccine is given to people with a previous condition like thyroid? Again, I would say refer to the doctors. We will know, we will know a thousand times more about these vaccines in eight weeks time than we do now. We will know a million times more about these vaccines in 16 weeks than we do now. Okay, we are right at the edge of an explosion of understanding, and 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 you will you will find that uh, our uh, our ideas are get shaped. And uh, what would you interpret the availability pre-existing of the events regarding COVID? Some of this information documented ten years ago by some organisations, and the script has been playing out. Y yeah, I mean, listen, I've been talking about uh, the the likelihood of probability or need indeed inevitability of COVID type pandemics for the last 20 or 30 years. There's nothing new under the sun actually that we haven't really seen in one way or another in previous history. So, and um, and indeed uh, a lot of it you find in going right back to biblical times. For example, massive plagues of locusts right now in northern Uganda been sweeping right across much of the Middle East. Absolutely appalling. If you want any evidence of what locusts can do, go and read the Bible. <laughs> you know, these things we think are new, or the, the th this is part of the substance of life, life on the universe. Plagues come, they hit us. Uh, uh, we get plagues of locusts, plagues of ours, plagues of this, plagues of that, earthquakes. This is unfortunately so something of the the uh, the uh, the, the, uh, this, 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 um, this uh, um, the nature of the universe in which we live. Uh, have I left out any? Recently, a number of hospitalized patients uh, presented themselves because of, of conditions, various conditions, have been labeled to have COVID in spite of clear indications that they've had pre existing conditions. Um, okay, let me be clear about this. Uh, one of my relatives is a consultant in a London teaching hospital. He sees people regularly who are sick or dying of COVID who are testing negative. Okay, so. Just because someone tests negative for the virus particles does not mean they don't have COVID. We'll find it afterwards maybe, but it's difficult to find particles of the virus in the early stages. Okay, so the, the, and it's easy therefore for labeling to get a bit confused. One of the most certain things we have uh, actually is um, uh, in terms of general population is excess deaths. We look at the number of people we'd expect to die in a normal winter and it looks like that. And then we look at the number of people dying this winter, it looks like that. And then we look at the number of COVID cases we've detected, and they only look like that. We think, oh, that's what we would have expected. That's what we're seeing, that the undertakers are giving us that. 
But the COVID, it, we're only detecting that. What does that mean? Well, it means all of that for sure is related in some way, directly or indirectly to COVID. Either their COVID deaths, which were missing, or their people who may be dying because they're dying of other things that they didn't bother to go to the hospital about, or a mixture. And then you probably think, well, actually, yes, okay. So that is a really big, big important test for us in understanding what's going on. Um, I think I've probably dealt with most of the ones still. I've said I would be taking the vaccine. <laughs> I don't know which one I get offered. I think I think we come to the end of the Q and A list. Have you, have you got any secret lists you've got on there that I don't know? Jonathan, did you, you you had a last last question, didn't you? Did well, uh, yeah, thank you. No, it was actually I think you've um, partially addressed it. It was more on the macroeconomic picture. Um, uh, obviously, we've seen what's happened to the retail industry recently, and obviously today with Debenhams. Um, so the economy is going to change. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we've we've gone from a, a, a goods dominate. Yes, it's an acceleration yeah. of the existing trend. You yes. know, if I asked you how much you bought of your Christmas shopping last year compared to the year before online, I know the answer. More. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Loads more. Okay. It's the same trend. Yeah. It just accelerated. Debenhams, did department stores have a long-term future? I'm not sure about that. I yeah. predicted their demise about 10 years ago. Anyway, yes. Please carry on. <laughs> No, sure, absolutely. No, so um, it's just really um, around uh, where people will spend their money and how, which sectors will uh, rise and what the sort of the mix of the economy will look like, um, how, because um, it's a combination of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of government policy as well as how consumers are kind of reacting and also into the area of globalization. Will, will there be a kickback on that? Will things become smaller, a bit more local? Um, just some sort of general, general thoughts on what the economy might, might look like uh, as uh, uh, compared to today, say in sort okay. of five, six years time. All right. Well, there's two big questions there. One is about consumers and the other is about supply chains. So consumers, um, you have to think, well, what, what, are, what are people going to absolutely be craving for in a year's time? And you know whether the answer to that is any kind of safe adventures and leisure activities. There are a lot of people, we've talked about a lot of poverty, but actually, you know what? All those, all those have been in work, which is not actually the majority of the population, um, almost all of them have found their costs go down. Um, they, they've not been going out, they haven't had their annual holidays, uh, they haven't been driving the car, I haven't been doing anything except watching Netflix movies. I mean, it's sad, you know, and ordering things from Amazon and having a few takeaways. And, and we've seen this, the national statistics show this, that, uh, that yes, there are some people who've been extreme difficulty, lots of them, furloughed workers and others. But for those, I'm thinking of, um, say, someone who works for Oracle or something like that, they've just been paying down the mortgage. So what are they going to do? And they say, I deserve this is the, the this is this is time for payback. This is this is seize the day. This is I'm gonna have, you know, what are they gonna do? Well, you know what they're gonna do, they're gonna go and have some fun as insofar as they can do safely. Um, and uh, we're going to see, um, and it even happened during the summer. Weymouth here, we had our best the, the holidays town here had its best summer for years. Why? Because if we had been locked down, suddenly people thinking, well, I'm not going abroad, I'm gonna have some fun, and they have ice creams and fish and chips and whatever um so we're going to see a lot of that um a lot of a lot of things that give people the sense of being together uh and authentic stuff um there's a, be, already been a premium for um the real 
have you noticed how well buskers do on the streets of our cities? This is before lockdown. You know why? Why do they make money? Why do you give someone a, a two pounds for to entertain you for less than 15 seconds? You know why? Because it made you smile and because it was real and because you're fed up of listening to what's in your iPods all day long. So, so there's a, be a premium for things that are real. So a premium for, for breathing the same air as human beings and doing things together. So those things are really important. The supply chains, massive disruption, but of course, and nothing like as much as people feared, they thought the whole world was going to come to an end and nothing would ever come out of China for six months. Uh, what a load of, of, of rubbish that was. Um, but the big trend is the world continues to turn, but the world has been getting more complicated for quite a while. It wasn't just President Trump's tweets, okay? It just is. And so the idea of making cars in, uh, in, in China and, uh, and then with bits from, from South Africa and then assembled in Mexico, such a last century idea. It was already a last century idea in 2004. It looked really archaic in 2015 and is absolutely no-no in 2020. I promise you, every single my, one of my multinational clients has been shortening their supply chains for, for 10 years now. And uh, Maersk is a client of mine, they're a shipping company. They, 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 they use containers and every year, uh, for the last, um, up until 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, every time global production went up by say 10 units, the amount that went in containers went up by 20 units because there's enormous growth in global trade. Now, every time the global economy increases by 10 units, the number of containers increases by five. So that's the answer to your question. So industry is becoming more local, uh, more regional, uh, um, uh, I, I, went to Belarus, I went to Belarus recently, I saw a car factory owned by China, um, but guess what? There's not a, not a molecule that's Chinese in it. <laughs> Every molecule of rubber, steel, aluminium, zinc, copper, as, uh, a plastic and glass is, is, is Belarusian or Russian. Uh, it's just Chinese genius. So, that, so, so, uh, so experience for customers and uh, shorter distances for goods. Great, thank you. And I suppose that that opens up um, lots of new novel business ideas for people uh, in terms yes. of startups and church ones too. Yeah. There's going to be a premium for actually being, being, breathing the same air, big gatherings. Colin, this is the time to be dreaming some big dreams, uh, and thinking about booking those stadiums provisionally, not next year, but year after. <laughs> okay, all right. Great, fantastic. So there's, you know, we, we'd, we'd like to go on and on. There's so much there that we're scratching the surface on, but you've given us a lot of good basics. You've given us some frameworks. You've given us some uh, key answers to key key questions. And um, we, we'll keep on considering and keep on going there, but I ever, appreciate ever so much you Pleasure. joining with us, Patrick, and it's been very beneficial, been a great help. So thank you ever Never so much. Never say no to wonderful people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and to all the panelists and everybody, and love to Sheila and the family. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be with you, and uh, uh, take care. God bless you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing bye -bye. so well. Bye-bye. Great. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Lovely to see you all again.